Hello everyone, my name is Ryan and you're listening to The Vegan Report. If you're vegan for the animals and you care to do more for animal rights, but you're not sure where to start, then this podcast is for you. Every week, let yourself fall in love with passionate animal rights leaders who will inspire you to find your voice, your own special contribution to the animal rights movement, however small or big it is. Today, we are going to talk about chickens. And let me set the table by quoting an article I found preparing for this episode. It is from the Weather Network, and it is titled, Why Chickens Might Be the Biggest Legacy We Leave on This Earth. It says, before you throw away that chicken bone, you should know it may wind up on our permanent record. A study released by researchers in England last December showed that our lasting legacy here on Earth may be just that, as the sheer number of the world's most popular foal stands to leave its mark on this slice of the geological record at any given time. There are an estimated 23 billion chickens on Earth, about 10 times more than any other bird species. They've got us outnumbered too. That's about three chickens for every person on the planet. According to the study's authors, the world's domesticated chicken is likely to be the largest standing population of a single bird species in Earth's history. Of course, reading this as a vegan, I think about the horrendous scale of chicken exploitation. Yes, chickens will be part of humans' legacy, but this is a dark and shameful legacy. To talk about this topic, I have with me the team behind the Truth Organization, the two co-founders, Nigel and Julie. What is the Truth Organization? It is the nonprofit behind the egg-truth.com initiative, which educates the public about the true nature of egg production from hatchery, hatchery to plate. So Julie and Nigel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Would you Hi, like- how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. How about you? <laughs> good, good, good. So would you like to first introduce yourselves and Talk about your role uh, with uh, the Truth Organization. Uh, I might just go first. Hi, I'm Julian Priesermeister. Um, I go by Julie, and I'm the newly appointed executive director of the Truth Organization, where we host uh, the Act Truth and the Dare Truth websites and social media channels. Uh, I started off as a marketing and social media manager and started to transition into executive director in, uh, in this year. And so this will, from just outreach, I'll take on more strategic work and look at how we can grow and how we can become a key player in the vegan movement. And uh, that's basically the, the plan for the for the coming year and years, I think, for me anyway. Uh, my name's Nigel. I'm the founder of uh, the Truth Organization and its various um, incarnations, egg-truth.com and dairy-truth.com. Um, and um, uh, I started uh, the organization around 2018, uh, set up the social media platforms, uh, obviously the websites, and uh, developed a lot of the content 
And then, uh, as Julie mentioned, I brought her on to manage social media, uh, which is a big role and a pretty fundamental role these days in any organization, whether you're for-profit or non. And um, she did such a great job. Uh, I wanted to promote her up into uh, executive director and I could then focus a bit more on you know, fundraising, on uh, being a bit more strategic and look at developing some more content while she sort of ran uh, the front office and social media and so on. And that's it. So I, I'm sorry, I, I, I gave you both the title of uh, founders, but uh, Nigel, you're the sole founder of the organization. Is that right? Uh, yes. Okay. So I assume both of you are vegans. Is, am I correct? correct? Yes. Yeah. So um, please talk about your uh, journey to, um, from, you know, being, uh, I guess, raised like everyone else uh, with uh, a loose understanding of our uh, impact on uh, animals to becoming vegan to now uh, running uh, a vegan organization. Right. Um, so as you just mentioned, I was like everyone else raised um, with meat, you know, uh, meat and three veg was our usual dinner or weekend uh, food. Uh, I always had a dislike for meat. I just never liked eating it. I just did because, you know, your parents tell you to, to eat up. Um, so I did, but I always disliked it. And as I got older and then moved out, I started eating less and less meat just naturally because I just didn't like it. And at some point I just decided, okay, today is the day I'm going to go vegetarian. And this was when I was a student. Um, and then it took a long time to actually go to veganism. And I never thought about it for me, like for many, I think uh, veganism always felt like a bit extreme and it it, it, it felt restrictive. And uh, the only people I would know as vegans would be the people that are out in the streets with the screens and with the horrible pictures of, you know, animals and blood and tortured. And so like, I never really thought about it until um, uh, I became a mother when certain things click in terms of milk uh, and nursing. And uh, because my my child was diagnosed with lactose intolerance, I had to give up dairy because I was nursing and the lactose gets through my milk as well. So I stopped dairy. And um, because that was such a such an impactful thing I had to do, I started researching on dairy and I started, that was like, I had one blog post, but I started a blog about uh, the dairy industry and dairy. And um, when I finished my maternity leave, I was looking for a job and I found Actrus. And so I technically was a vegetarian. I didn't consume dairy. I would still eat eggs. And when I found the posting for Actrus, I started then reading about the website and everything they put out. And I'm like, oh, I guess I guess I'm going vegan. I guess we dropped the eggs too, because that was just awful, the things I read. So, so ever since I joined Actrus, which was in 2020, I completely stopped eating any animal products and then the other aspect because people most um or often just think of food but obviously it goes beyond that it goes um to the cosmetics to um other products we use like laundry detergent uh, dish soap like all the little bits and pieces and that took a little longer um just you know to to find products and something that's affordable that's available but uh bit by bit um i made my way to like hopefully fully vegan uh and at least in my house yeah Nigel? I've been vegan, I guess, for around 16, 17 years now. But I think like a lot of people, um, uh, there was a couple of years of transition. Um, I had met my wife in 2002. Um, and when we met, she was a vegetarian. And of course, 
you know, I knew lots of people who were vegetarian. Vegetarian is, you know, uh, and the term has been around for a long time. And uh, we were dating, obviously. And then inevitably conversations would sort of, you know, evolve to, you know, why vegetarian? What, you know, and we, you know, we would learn and discover about one another. And that was always a, a topic on the table. And, you know, um, and I understood intuitively and understandably that, you know, yeah, I, I get vegetarianism. You know, they, they take the animal, they slice its throat, you know, or, you know, knock it unconscious and then they dismember it. You know, it sounds like a pretty ghastly and bloody process. And so you're kind of like, yeah, I get that. And, uh, you know, my wife did a lot of cooking and, and uh, she was a very good cook. And to me, food is either good or it's not good. There's good vegan food and there's bad vegan food. Like there's, you know, good omnivore food and bad omnivore food. It's just, it either tastes good to you or it doesn't. So, um, but then the, then the conversations would evolve and, you know, I'd have questions, you know, I would, I would pose the same um, uh, questions that I get all the time now, whether online or through talking to family and friends. So um, it's that cognitive dissonance working. It's, it's, you know, it's magic. And, um, you know, my wife would, would answer as best she could. And if she wasn't sure or thought it would be better, just, you know, here, read this or watch that. And I would. And so I kind of went through the process myself. There was no coercion. There was no, hey, you have to be, if you were going to keep carrying on this relationship, you got to be vegan or vegetarian. And it was none of that. Um, and really, at the end of the day, if you're going to make, you know, any commitment to a, a philosophical position, you got to get there on your own, because otherwise it's not, you know, it ain't going to stick, so to speak. So, um, and yeah, I, I, I gave up meat. Um, I got rid of it. I understood it. I was glad to get rid of it. Then I thought, oh, I felt pretty good. You know, I thought, hey, I've gotten to this 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 place where I'm feeling good about what my my decision, my choice. Then I discovered about eggs and dairy. And I'm like, oh, come on, really? And you know, and then I realized how horrendously bad it was. It was worse, you know, than you know, often what the meat industry would produce in terms of, you know, the suffering and and from a welfare perspective. So I, I, I started to eliminate that from my diet and um, never to go back. I think eggs was probably the last thing um, uh, I abandoned. And, uh, and I think my experience, my transition, I think for most vegans, that is a very common story. Um, I will say that actually, no, not eggs was the last thing. Cheese was the last thing. And at the time, not realizing that cheese was actually addictive because of the casomorphins in the milk that mother cows pass on to their infant calves uh, to help the bond. This is passed on through the food that we consume. And sure enough, I think if you talk to most vegans, they'll say, yep, cheese was the last thing to go. So, and then, uh, you know, uh, I think like a lot of people, I started out in life uh, eating like, I mean, most other North Americans, my family's from the UK, they immigrated to Canada in the 1950s. So I grew up eating a lot of British food, which was pretty bad, you know, uh, blackened meat, boiled vegetables to a mush and potatoes. And a salad was a ripped up, 
you know, iceberg lettuce in there with some sliced up tomatoes. So, you know, that's what I kind of grew up on. So um, trust me, I didn't, I, I don't miss any of that <laughs> for a whole host of reasons. Forget veganism. So what's your favorite uh, vegan cheese brand? Uh, Go ahead, Julie. Uh, yeah, I think I, I don't really have a favorite as in like, that's the best. I don't taste the difference, but I just get what's in the supermarket. And this is uh Deya, I think you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes video life. Um, but yeah, I, I try just the way I cook is then it's not focused on the cheese. It's, it's added maybe, but it's not the focus. It doesn't carry the flavor kind of. So um, I think cheese still has a long way to go. If we really try, if we keep comparing it to dairy products and if we keep asking for the same experience, um, I think there's still a long way to go and let's see what happens to all the lab created uh, cheeses. I'm very excited about those coming out and trying them. Um, but yeah, I just, that, that was my way around, um, just to, you know, take cheese out of the equation and not focus the food too much around it. What about you, Nigel? Do you have any recommendations? I, I have my fast food cheese and then my gourmet cheese. My mm -hmm. fast food cheese is, um, day of shreds for melting, whether you put it on pizza or something, it's such a great melting cheese. Um, uh, I'll, I like the day of block cheddar cheese i think that is uh, it really probably the closest thing to a you know your grocery store supermarket cheese brick you'll get um i think it's a little better to be perfectly honest but for gourmet hands down no question miyoko's mount vesuvius black ash all right the well, best ever <laughs> of course especially with fresh bread and baked garlic amazing <laughs> so Uh, let's get to um, the launching of uh, the Truth Organization. How did that happen? And how did the world welcome uh, your initiative? Um, I think it was 2017. Uh, my wife, Dr. Krista Hidema, had been involved with Mercy for Animals here in Canada. She had under, uh, uh, undertook probably... 11 or 12 on, uh, undercover investigations on farm in transport and slaughter. Uh, in the early years, I was certainly would help and support her on that from a social media standpoint. Um, and um, uh, she was exceedingly busy, uh, her exceedingly active in exposing what goes on in the animal agriculture here in Canada. She went out to get a lot of corporate commitments And, um, and I was proud of her and I admired her for what she was doing. Um, uh, but, you know, as, as the years went on, I, I felt I needed to do my own thing. I needed to have something, some contribution that I could make directly. Um, and uh, eggs, like I said, you know, one of the last things I gave up, one of the things when I found out, I just, you know, was a head shake. It was like, oh man. You know, this is this is this is terrible. This is really, really bad. And most people think, well, birds, chickens lay eggs and cows give milk. You know, what's the harm? Well, you know, plenty. And so I thought, okay, as a graphic designer and a web designer, I decided, well, the first thing I'm going to do is develop the, 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 the focal point, which is the website. So I spent a lot of time developing the website and the content. I had to educate myself on a, on a lot of, you know, information. Um, I had to write it, I had to get an editor because, you know, 
I'm not a professional writer by any means. Um, and the last thing that I contemplated doing is addressing the issue of human health and egg consumption, which I kind of struggled with because a lot of times you want to focus on the animals, the welfare issues, the use, philosophical issues with just using living sentient beings and treating them as a commodity. Um, you know, the health and nutrition side of things is such a complex thing. And it's even, it's one week, it's coffee's bad for you. The next week, coffee's good for you. Alcohol, this cholesterol. So I thought, well, the egg industry, like the dairy industry, are really unchallenged in that area. So I thought I'm going to find out, find a source that is not a vegan source, not a plant-based doctor source, but somebody who, you know, has been critical of the egg industry and egg consumption and cholesterol. And I found uh, Dr. J. David Spence, University of Western Ontario, professor of uh, pharmacology and, and, and neurology, I believe it is. And he has written and, and has been interviewed by the media around the world. He's written for the World Health Organization and he's very, very critical. I reached out to him one day just on a whim thinking, maybe I'll see if I can get him to respond. And he did. And he sent me so much information. I was overwhelmed but I poured through these studies and research and I started to coalesce in my mind what the issues were. So I formulated that on the website and it's a pretty big part of the website. Um, I don't, we don't necessarily focus on it anymore or not anymore as much as the, the others or any less. Julie will tell you that a lot of the content that she's programmed over the years for social media, again, is on the, on the animal side of things, the welfare side of things. But I, I'm, I'm proud of that component of the website because it was the hardest to write and understand. And, and, um, and I really sort of, I'm, I, I'm pretty good at it now. If I were to get into a debate with somebody, I think I could handle my own. So it was good for me to, to, to know that. Don't focus it on, a, on it too much because like I said, the welfare stuff is, is really central. Uh, because we often in the vegan movement go down these rabbit holes of talking about, well, what if the cage was this size? Or what if the, you know, if a barn has this many birds and it's multi-tier aviaries and the litter is properly clean? Like you get into these conversations and you're like, you know, we get sucked into it. I do sometimes too. And we have to be careful not to do that too much. Yes. So, um, so then did an ad campaign in 20. I think it was 2018, Julie, or 2019. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, an outdoor ad campaign in Toronto. I had 45 transit shelter posters uh, put up around the city. Um, I designed and printed an eight-page full-color booklet that went into the Toronto Star. Uh, 17,500 inserted in Saturday home delivery, uh, skewed towards a specific area and demographic. And we did some uh, collaboration with Anonymous for the Voiceless and Vegan Outreach to leaflet and run a campaign in Dundas Square, all within this four week period and, uh, you know, and social media ads. And um, so there was sort of this multi-pronged approach and you could really see the impact it was having. And, you know, one of the, one of the most memorable responses I, I, I received was an email from a young woman 
who was a refugee from Syria, from the war in Syria. And she had seen the poster in the transit shelter. And she said, I didn't know what, what was this, what was this egg truth? So she went literally sitting in the shelter. She went to the website and she couldn't believe what she was seeing. One of the, one of the first videos on the homepage shows it's a high definition video filmed in Australia by Animals Australia, great organization. Um, and they had filmed maceration and high definition. <laughs> and it is, it, it's barbarism. And she saw that for what it was, especially coming from Syria. Uh, and, you know, she comments, she says, I, I, I thought, you know, when I saw the cruelty that humans inflicted on other humans in the war in Syria, and then I come here to a peaceful country like Canada, and here we are doing the same thing, but to animals. And she, and she said she cried. She was in tears. And that was like, wow, that was, that was pretty powerful. So, um, so through that experience, I thought, well, dairy truth next, it's got to be dairy. And those are the two areas that I, that I, I wanted to focus on because, you know, everyone focuses again on the welfare and the slaughter and the killing of the animals, but these are slaughter industries and they're worse because they prolong, you know, the suffering of these animals, dairy four or five years, the male calves into the veal production and the hens, the male chicks day old and 18 months it, it, it confined or even not confined, but, but producing an egg almost every day. And now they're producing up to almost 500 eggs per hen before they're slaughtered. Um, it's horrendous what we're doing to them. And, um, and that was the, that was the focus and, and the purpose. I think um, to come back to the reception, because you asked how did the world receive Act Truth? And I think what's unique about Act Truth is that we really focus on that one uh, industry because there's so, obviously there's many many organizations out there bigger and smaller ones and usually they talk about all of the animals used for food and then eggs are usually kind of like an not an afterthought but it's kind of like on the side it's usually not really focused on and then if you see big campaigns it's often about cage-free but obviously this is like not helping anyone not the hens and so actors is the first one that really focuses on that and what I see through my work on social media is that uh, many vegans say hey um you know, they say a video where someone shares, say, um, an, an egg recipe or something related to eggs. And they're like, hey, did you know that eggs are actually terrible for the animals? Check out and then they link us egg throughs. And then that's all they do. They don't start, you know, citing all the bad things. They like go to egg throughs and then you learn. And I think that's what's happening. And that's what we really want to push for and focus on that egg throughs is that one step source that people go to when it goes to acts to help educate people help themselves you know get more in-depth knowledge as Nigel said we we do focus on nutrition as well even though it's not our main focus but it's all there we got the environment bit we have the um the health bit but obviously also um the animals and we also uh, beyond that have resources that help people okay I learned all this crazy stuff what do I do next what's happening now and um and I think that's what is unique about Actors and then with their retreats, we try to to go down a similar route. It looks very similar to to actors if you compare those two. But I think that was the main effect that people now had a resource at hand they can use to educate people and uh, you know point people towards to to um to learn. What I love about uh, eggtruth.com is um, you can personalize your um, uh, 
um, approach education to uh, the reality of egg production. You know, you don't have to uh, sit there and have to watch uh, one hour of footage like you would do with uh, Dominion. You can really take your time. And um, also it is referenced. Um, and like you said, there are um, you know, different arguments for different people. Nigel, you were talking about the health, the health arguments. You know, I'm one of those people who don't believe that the health arguments are very convincing. But I've met vegans uh, who were very, you know, you, you would not have made them vegan uh, with uh, ethical arguments. But uh, the health arguments resonate with them. And then later on, they educate themselves on uh, the, the ethical aspect of uh, uh, the whole vegan movement. And yeah, I, I think, you know, it's a great initiative and it is a great idea. Uh, Julie, how, why were you attracted to working for uh, the Truth Organization? I mean, this is a job where you're exposed to uh, lots of footage um, of animals being literally tortured. Um, you can't, you know, it's it's tough. It's tough on your uh, mental health. Um, so what attracted you and why did you decide to uh, engage, uh, get engaged professionally with uh, the Truth Organization? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I started off dropping dairy first, and that's when I started doing research, and that's when you automatically end up uh, with all these organizations that educate yourself, and you end up with the animals. And then through my job search, I found Actrus, and um, how it is with many vegans that you have this aggression, passion at first, where you learn all these cruelties, like, oh my God, I did not know we have to change the world. How do I help change the world, right? Kind of like that mindset. I think it, that happens to many vegans. You want to help change it. And obviously with, with the job posting that I found with Actrus, it looked like an opportunity to be part of that change, to help put it to an end. And I liked Actrus for the reasons I mentioned earlier. It focuses on one thing because especially if you start out new, it's overwhelming, like all the different aspects of food, the food industry and all the different animals involved and tortured. It's just so complex. So having it reduced down to, to the chickens and to the eggs was very helpful for me to then also educate myself on that topic. And they kind of were a gateway then to learn about all the other aspects. Um, and you're right, the the footage you see every day is is horrendous, it's, it's awful. And uh, especially me in the position where I post, where I try to educate people and where you learn that people react to the crueler ones more than to the cute ones, you would then also always uh, on the search for cruel images. Like I have to look, I can't say, okay, I've seen enough. I, that's all I need to know. Now I can go out educate. No, I have to keep going back. I have to find new investigations to keep, you know, that and people's minds like this is still ongoing. Like you saw this one, but it's still happening. And all these campaigns, there's still cruelty happening. They're still tortured. If there's a cage or not, it's still horrible. So I have to go back to all this footage every day. And as bad as it is, to be honest, you know what's worse? That you tell people all this, you show them the images and they don't care. This is so much harder and so much traumatizing to me, especially when it comes to friends and family where you think they're on your side, they take your stand, they understand, they would totally agree that abusing and exploiting an animal should not be done under any circumstance if it's not needed and we do not need eggs to survive. Um, and, and then they're like, yeah, but I like it. And, and that's the end of it. And you're like, and that that makes it harder and more traumatizing, to be honest, that you are against those 
walls. Uh, and and that's that's the cruel part. But that's also a part that motivates me to do a better job and to look at it from different angles and to find different ways of presenting the information to get through to people because it's a very individual choice and a very individual journey for everyone. And people respond to different messages differently. And sometimes it's just a tiny seed you plant, something that just stays in the back of their head, and you know you keep bringing back messages. Um, but yeah, that's the challenge. Uh, but definitely, yeah, you have to. Take a step back sometimes um, because you can what they call over witness. Um, but it's also what brings me back and what keeps me going and what keeps me motivated and what will hopefully um, keep me going until we see actual change. Well, let's talk about the negative reaction to your initiative. You know, I recently I was uh, posting on Instagram and the algorithm uh, just put me on the radar of um, a lot of, I guess, let's call them anti-vegans and all of a sudden you know my posts were flooded with uh, people you know posting images of meat and um, talking about uh, obscure studies on how uh, my brain would shrink because of my vegan diet and you know it felt ridiculous it felt a bit funny but it was also you know a bit disturbing so did you have any of that um, honestly, it's it's actually more happening on our Dairy Truths platforms. Um, people feel uh, more threatened if you tell them to, you know, stop eating cheese. Uh, but when it comes to eggs, it's what what happens more is that people come forward and say, "Oh, but I have backyard chickens, and I'm nice to the chickens, so I have I have good eggs." Um, so that comes out first, and that really isn't isn't helping in our argument because from our point of view, it is still exploiting the animals. You still use an animal that has been bred to lay eggs more than is necessary for for them in nature to like you know keep their their group and their species alive. So you're still like abusing them, and you're still helping the egg industry making eggs look like natural and nice and and, and like um, cute little food, um, you know, from the cute little hen. So that's more happening on actors. Of course, there are sometimes people that say, oh, yeah, I love to eat chickens and they post a picture of a roast chicken. Um, but I mean, it's understandable if you confront people with something like this, something they've grown up with. And I see it in the children's books that I read to my son. Like you see the cute little farm and there's a hen and there's a cow and there's a pig and they're all happy there and you know they eat and they're just they're there and there's nothing else to it. It's just, But that's how we grow up. We learn that those animal they live on farms and they're happy on that farm and then as you grow older you never give it a second thought because those pictures kind of continue throughout the supermarket right it's on the labels it's on the pictures above the shelves so it's just a continuum and if then someone comes out just like uh-uh look at that picture that's the actual truth people obviously feel you know offended it's like you know we're not one to point fingers and say you are the cause of and because of you this chicken died because I don't think it's very effective but that's how people feel they feel threatened in their food choices and what many people do if they feel threatened they fight back right and usually it comes in with those crazy arguments and they find those ridiculous studies or whatever argument they bring forward just that they're able to hold on to their worldviews like no I'm right I'm right um, and here this is why and and sometimes it looks very desperate especially for us vegans who have uh, been uh, in this fight, so to speak, for many years, you've you've seen it uh, repetitively um, brought up certain crazy arguments. Um, but yeah, as I said, it's more um, it's 
people feel more threatened about their cheese than about their ex. So we have bigger problems on, on dairy truth um, and bigger arguments. And for some reason, more farmers come forward that feel threatened because obviously we say the dairy industry has to be stopped, shouldn't be subsidized and so forth. And then the farmers come forward and they tell you all about it and that you have no idea. And because you're not a farmer, you're not allowed to speak about cows um, and what makes them happy and not. Um, so that's more happening on dairy truth for some reason, yeah. And we will talk about uh, Dairy Truth um, uh, later. Um, but this is a great segue for my next question, uh, which is, what do you think of the clean and innocent uh, um, image of the egg production industry? You know, this um, wh when I go to the supermarket and uh, I look at uh, the, you know, the place where they put uh, all the eggs, you know, it's white it's clean there are uh, cute images like you said of, of chickens uh, in in the farm um, and it's such a contrast with what you can find on eggtruth.com um, so what do you think of that of that that whole marketing to just sell uh, the eggs uh, and that cultural um, image of um, the the egg production uh, Nigel, would you like to comment? Yeah, um, I think it's um, great marketing, smart marketing, um, clever advertising. Um, they are literally taking something that is ugly and violent and uh, where there's immense suffering and they have turned it into something that is um, welcomed, happy, wholesome, family-oriented. I mean, you could go on with all sorts of adjectives. This is, this is not by accident. This is by intention. The egg industry, as the dairy industry, have access to millions of dollars, not only in government subsidies, which they'll deny tooth and nail they receive any, which is an outright lie, um, and through checkoff programs, which is a hidden fee inside the, the eggs and dairy in the supply chain between the wholesaler and the retailer, some of that money goes back to the, the, the national or provincial lobby groups to spend money on advertising. They go into schools, they develop educational programs. It's, it's, it's all by design. It's not by accident or anything. So, um, and, you know, to be quite honest, if I was an ad, head of an ad agency or head of creative for an ad agency or the lobby group, and I, you know, I have a product, there is a problem with it. How do we get people to consume it? And how do we get people to consume more of it next year than they did this year? And so you have to sanitize it in a way that um, people aren't going to think that you're trying to pull the, the, the rug over their eyes, but you're going to position it in such a way that, you know, encourages them and makes them feel good about buying it. And, um, and you know, it's interesting. I, I remember many, many years ago, um, I'm going to be dating myself here, but I used to get TV Guide magazine in the home, like millions of households, and it had your entire TV schedule for the week, in TV Guide, but there was always be these articles in there. And there was an article in there, one issue 
uh, and it was by an orthopedic surgeon. And the orthopedic surgeon described what would happen if you saw, if two men got into a fist fight, just like what you see on television. So the topic was violence on television and what you're seeing on television. And he would describe a television fight as this endless brawl with fists flying. It would go on for several minutes, and chairs and, you know, <laughs> and then he said in real life, what would happen? And he would describe it clinically. He would refer to the bone in the hand that would crack. It would, might protrude through the skin. He, he, he depicted this ugly reality of what a simple fist fight would look like. And it would be over in 30 seconds, less so. And he said, the problem is, is that we, we as a culture take violence and we sanitize it because we want to sell it to other people en masse, whether it's in the form of entertainment, whether it's in the form of food, it doesn't matter. You show people the truth, the reality, they don't want to know. Show, lie to me and show me something else. And I'll feel good about consuming it, whether again, whether it's watching violence or, and look, I'm, I'm, I like, I, I consume entertainment like most people, but I, I, I know it's, you know, when I see, I know when I see real violence, you see the war in Ukraine, that's really disturbing. That's really upsetting. And it should be, but we've sanitized it in our society. And so it's, it's, it's natural that they would do the same thing in terms of uh, food. So um, you know, through social media, through social media advertising. Um, and we, you know, pockmark the year with, with, with small social media ad campaigns, but they're out there. We do do them. And occasionally we do some bigger campaigns if we can, you know, uh, get the fundraising or the funds to, to execute a, a bigger program. But, um, and that's what we try to do sometimes is, is go into their domain, which is the advertising realm where they are, have unfettered access and no one ever challenges them to go there and say, uh-uh, that's not what it's like. This is what it's like. Go to egg-truth.com or dairy-truth.com, learn the truth. And, um, and like Julie said, you're going to get people who, um, um, you know, will fight you tooth and nail, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I even, I remember I had somebody recently on Egg Truth uh, posting about, uh, maybe it was, I shared the website. So I always see, when I see anything news or posts, I'll share the website wherever I can. And somebody said, well, it's, you know, they were talking with such authority that there's no way that a chick can be sexed. It's impossible. They can't sex a chick. What are you talking about? You're lying. And I'm like, dude, that's exactly what they call it. Sexing. There's a room where, where people sit around a table, a table where the chicks come in they pick up the chicks the male goes down one shoot and the female goes down another shoot they're trained to sex the chicks you know so they people will will just 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 pull out the complete opposite reality and present that as if that's just uh indisputable fact um so but again like you said to your question um uh i don't fault the industry for presenting it the way they do uh, their job is this is this is what it's about. It's about money. It's about their members. It's about supporting industry, growing in the industry, and they're doing what they should do as a for-profit industry to promote it. Um, 
uh, you know, moral and ethical issues aside, but in a free and open society, that needs to be challenged. It should be challenged. And we do get pushback. Like when we, I can tell you lots of stories about outdoor ad companies who, who really, you know, um, um, refuse to run ads, you know, are antagonistic, outright belligerent because they, they don't want to give, they don't want to give an opportunity for another voice to come into the marketplace and present something that the only the one side has had, you know, uh, generations, uh, an opportunity to do unopposed. What, what I find interesting, um, when you started a podcast, you brought up that, um, that, uh, that article that talks about that if many years from now we would dig up the earth, we would find so many chicken bones that it may seem that chickens must have ruled the world at that point, which is our point right now. And that's the crazy part. How many chickens do you see in your daily life? Considering the billions of chickens that are out there that are raised for meat, that are used for for eggs, you don't. And even if you um, go to the supermarket, there's one chicken on that package, right? And even if you go beyond that and you go on their website from the egg industry with certain egg farmers, it's mostly about the egg farmer. They might show the farm and then a couple of hens. But the sheer size of it, the millions and millions of hands that are locked away for this industry, you'll never get to see this. And that's and that's the crazy part um, that we never get to see them. You know, like um, I think um, Ed Winters, the Earthling Ed, said, uh, posted the other day that, you know, people mostly meet those animals, what we call farm animals, on a plate. They never see them in real life. They never touch a hen. They never see a hen or a cow or a pig or whatever it is. And, and that is the crazy part. And it's obviously used in our marketing scheme and used to keep the narrative alive, the narrative of like, this is a farm animal and this is one we keep at home. This is okay to eat because of that. And and yeah, you see that on the packaging and it helps people, as Michael said, to feel good about it. You feel good about buying eggs because it feels wholesome. It feels natural. Um, yeah. I always say I can forgive the consumers for, you know, the, the cultural uh, conditioning for, you know, that marketing. But what about the executives, you know, the the people running those ads, uh, the people running those uh, industries from their uh, offices? Um, have you ever had any, uh, interactions with them? And do you know if they are aware of the harm they are causing? So me personally, you, I have, I have go ahead, Julie. spoken um, to someone. Um, and the crazy thing is they grew up with the same narrative. They grew up in the same cultural setting where this is a farm animal and this is why it's okay that what you do to them. Um, and obviously, as I said, they are there with an economical interest, right? They want to make money. And so that will always be their point of view. That will always be the set of glasses they look through and they look at the hands. And um, the question is, do they even think it's cruel? Do they even think it's bad to do that to the hands? Um, does it matter? Um, and then, you know, they also have cognitive dissonance, you know. Um, they also can compartmentalize this. They might even call themselves a good farmer if they implement a couple of more welfare uh, rules on their farm. Um, so I think they fall for the same cultural and narrative uh, upbringing that the consumer falls to um, and the economic investment that they have in a farm probably helps to keep them there and it's hard to to move away in that if you invested your life savings on a farm and now it has to you know 
pay the bills and help raise your children and maybe they even step up to take over so there's so many aspects to it that kind of help them to stay and keep doing what they're doing I think um, there are a few farmers that do kind of have this epiphany and wake up one day and say what am I doing and that's very single cases and they're out there and they, they speak up about the cruelty that's going on and what's really happening and um, what it means for the animal but that's a minority and um, probably often not heard and not you know pushed out there in the in the public media well let's yeah i i sorry i'll just add Go you ahead, know Rachel. um when you mentioned executives you know there's the ad execs and there's the the execs of these companies um you know my wife when she was with mercy for animals they did an investigation at west um and it was uh you may recall it it was where they had video of the farm workers who catch the chickens and put them in the slam them in the crates and put them onto the trucks. And there's a firm that whose business is, is a, as, as a contractor to do that. And there was workers caught on camera, literally slamming the, picking up the chickens by the legs and slamming their heads against the wall and, and on the ground. One was uh, 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 emulating or mock copulation with a chicken um, you know, just really horrible things. And the company was, um, I believe it was, the brand was Lilydale, but the parent company was Sofina Foods, which is located in Burlington, Ontario. Well, the owner of Sofina Foods is Michael Latifi. And Michael Latifi lives in uh, the Bridal Path or Rosedale, somewhere in Toronto in a very wealthy neighborhood on a large estate, very wealthy. His son, Nicholas Latifi, ended up racing for the Williams F1 racing team for three years. Um, and Sofina Foods was sponsorship on, on, on the car for the team. Um, it was funded by Michael Latifi. And, you know, in many of my wife's previous investigations, when they go to the corporate company and say, hey, this is what we've done. Some have stepped up and said, okay, I, I want them out of our supply chain. Done. Until that's fixed, you know, but even them, they all think it's an isolated incident. And Michael Latifi made no response. He left it to his PR people. They, again, took the position it was an isolated incident, even though there was another investigation involving Lilydale brand turkeys, also in BC. Um, uh, when you're, and Julie alluded to it, when you're that wealthy, when your livelihood and income and, and uh, is, is so dependent, um, uh, you either, you probably don't spend a lot of time visiting your suppliers. You don't walk into chicken barns. You probably don't go, why would you, you know, that's for, that's for underlings to do, you know, you, you know, you're, you have this cognitive dissonance, the same as farmers do to some degree. Um, and it's a philosophical position, you know, um, some people are animals are for food, period. That's it. It'll never change in their minds. Um, like Julie said, sometimes you'll get the odd farmer who breaks away and says, I can't do this anymore. Um, there's lots of examples of that. And um, I don't know, maybe the wealthier you become as a result of this exploitation of animals, uh, the more invested you are in maintaining that power structure because it's, it's made you very, very wealthy. And um, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a, a greater level of, of uh, cognitive dissonance. 
maybe it's not, maybe you just simply don't care. It's probably a number of things, but uh, you know, it's a good question. And I, I, I don't know, I, I often wonder what goes through those people's minds because they do inevitably, they're gonna see something on the news, they're gonna see something, or even their kids, their kids gotta come home at some point and say, dad, did you know this? You know, my friends at school, said that this is what you do. This is this video is of you, one of your farms out in wherever, or maybe the kids, I don't know, maybe private schools, they don't, they don't do that so much. I don't know, but uh, you know, they've, and look, there are examples of where an executive will change. Look at Canada Goose. Look at the protest they used to do outside of that guy's home, the owner of Canada Goose. And I may be mistaken, but recently, I think that they're in the next several years are going to eliminate um, uh, coyote fur from their from their coats, from their clothing wear. Now they haven't gotten to the goose down yet, but they're looking at getting rid of uh, fur from coyote. So there are examples of those who are intransigent, and then there are those who just you know do bow to public pressure. So you got to keep it up. I used to be a volunteer for Oxfam, and I remember Oxfam America would always target the employees of uh, corporations they would go after. And I think that's something uh, lacking among, uh, you know, vegan organizations and vegan activists to really target the employees and uh, not just, you know, the uh, the consumers. Uh, but let's uh, get to uh, the life of those chickens we have been talking about uh, since the beginning of this episode, eggtruth.com has a section called Life of a Hen. And I would like to know, you know, what is the fate of the chickens exploited by this industry? Uh, what is uh, their life like? And why? Yeah. And are they sentient? You know, this is something um, I think <laughs> at... <laughs> The, the most basic level, there are some people who don't even believe that animals are sentient. They don't think that they can uh, experience pain. They think of them as machines. Um, so are they sentient? What is their life like in this uh, industry? Um, mm -hmm. Yes, go ahead. Um, uh, to answer the first question, yes, they are sentient. Um, they are mammals. They have brains. They have a central nervous system. They have pain receptors. They're conscious. They have memories. They have um, uh, exhibit all the cognitive functions that we would describe as sentience. Um, on our one of our blogs on egg-truth.com is uh, one called the Cambridge Declaration of Consciousness, and this is a group of scientists and neuroscientists who had uh, had had a um, an event a number of years ago at Cambridge University in the UK in which all these scientists came together and basically said animals were sentient even cephalopods um, and they they have they meet all the requirements for what we what we deem to be sentience and they actually pointed out they singled out uh, cephalopods and birds and we've seen you can go to YouTube and find, countless examples of birds exhibiting extraordinary behavior from making tools and memory and so on. There's no question that they're sentient. And ask anybody who rescues these animals, 
they form relationships. They purr when you pet them, just like a cat. They, um, and they, they respond to stimuli, compassionate, friendly stimuli versus aggressive and hateful stimuli, just like all living beings. So when people say these animals aren't sentient, they, they are just, they are, they either they're lying or they're, or they're fools. One of the two, I don't know which one it is. In terms of their life, you know, 18 months is typically cited as the life of a female hen. Um, they're obviously all bred in commercial hatcheries. Uh, they're sexed, the males, into the macerator, which is a giant stainless steel hopper with high-speed spinning splitting blades at the bottom. They all get dumped in there because males don't lay eggs and they're not ideal for raising for meat. Uh, what they call broilers are genetically engineered, selectively bred to produce large breasts and reach slaughter weight in 45 days. Those are not male chicks as in the egg industry. The females will get de-beaked often uh, to prevent predatory behavior in confined spaces. Um, they'll get, sometimes they'll get their toes clipped. Usually the roosters do because they'll tend to be aggressive when copulating with the, um, uh, the females, um, but uh, they'll get vaccinated and they'll be sent to um, uh, um, uh, temporary housing until they're mature enough uh, to uh, lay eggs, which they'll then be either on the same farm or shipped to another farm where they'll be housed for egg laying. And that egg laying will take, you know, uh, they'll lay an egg every, you know, 24 to 30 to maybe to 36 hours. Um, they will, you know, often in Canada, certainly, uh, they'll often be fined in, confined in cages, maybe six or eight to a cage on a wire floor. Um, they'll defecate and urinate through the cage, wire cage floor. They're usually built in a shape like this so everything can fall down into the manure pits, but inevitably it gets in on the other cages and the birds beneath them. Um, they will uh, have suffer feather loss, um, inactivity and uh, being stationary for so long, they'll often develop fatty liver syndrome. Um, they can experience egg impaction where the egg gets stuck in their oviduct, uh, their ovary, um, and uh, the, the, the shell will soften, it'll get infected. They could have um, prolapses where literally the reproductive organs just fall out of their body. They'll often die in the cages and then they'll end up, you know, workers will come along and, and um, uh, take them out, throw them in the garbage. Um, they'll, like I said, they'll lay anywhere between 300 and 20 to 350 in some farms. There's one in Iowa now, one in Germany that have reached 518 months. Um, and, you know, for clarity, birds lay eggs for reproduction only. Uh, like in nature, look at your birds in the spring. When they come out in the spring, they may lay a clutch or two a season. That's it. Laying an egg every 30 hours is not natural. They have been selectively bred and genetically altered to do that. And that is a horrendous burden on their reproductive systems. Um, despite being uh, supplemented with calcium, their uh, bones will still become brittle in, 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 in housing before they get transported and slaughter. Um, uh, I think Compassion for World Farming in the UK found that one third of all hands that go to slaughter either go to slaughter with either broken bones or have had broken bones that have healed improperly as a result. 
Um, then of course the birds are hung upside down, throats are slit, put into scalding hot water tanks for defeathering. Some of them are alive when they go into the scalding tanks and they come out and then go through the, um, uh, the dismember dismemberment phase of the slaughter process. Um, some will argue that the male chicks have it easy because they're day old, but they're conscious and alive and aware. Uh, they're, they're what I think, I may get this word wrong, they're coccycidial, so that they're, when they're hatched, they're fully conscious and aware, their eyes are open, unlike you know other mammals where their eyes will be closed for a period of time and they'll squeak and you know the mother has to make sure they all get milk. Chicks are born conscious. They even can communicate with the mothers in while they're in the shell. They have, there's that evidence of, of communication. Um, so it's really the female hens that have, you know, uh, uh, have the greatest duration of suffering and, and they're ultimately sent to slaughter. So it's, it's, um, uh, I, I don't know that if I sat around for a few hours, if I could think of anything worse in terms of my goal was to impose as much suffering and torture on an animal, you know, than what they do in the egg industry. Uh, maybe dairy, uh, you know, it's academic, whether you want to discuss whether dairy or eggs are worse, but they're both horrendous in my view, but eggs in particular is, um, is very nasty. Yeah. I, th I think you can summarize by saying that the egg is, uh, sorry, not the egg, the hen, obviously the hen and all the other chickens are commodified. So from the first day it's like, you know, naturally you see this hen on her nest sitting on her eggs until they hatch. But what do you have in the egg industry? You have crates and crates full of eggs. There's no mother hen around and they're in incubators. And that's where they, how their life starts. And that goes from that tray to the next tray to the sorting, to the cage and, and so on. It's just a commodity from the day one um, until their last day. And even the other aspect of the industry that people usually don't talk about are what they call the parent flock. So who lays these eggs? Who, you know, someone has to lay these eggs that make the hens that lay our eggs. And that's another aspect of the industry that's uh, absolutely cruel, where you put a couple of roosters with lots of hens and they're like, you know, aggressively breeding to lay eggs um, that then become our layer hens. And uh, that aspect is just as cruel and they have just as short of a lifespan and are uh, what they call depopulated uh, when they stop producing enough fertilized eggs. Um, and that's all part of the industry. And and as you mentioned, we have that page on our website called The Life of a Hen. And this is one of the most visited pages on our websites. And there we obviously go into greater detail as uh, Nigel outlined. We look at um, the different housing systems and what that really means um, for the hens and um, to help people understand what's going on behind uh, those sheds and uh, to make a better choice and see that certain labels don't really make a difference in the lives of those hens. Yeah, going back to that point on sentience, um, I had a guest, uh, Kennedy Little from uh, Farm Transition Academy, and she made the point that a lot of those workers have a distorted uh, view of animals because the animals they see have been broken. Um, their spirit has been broken. You know, they're traumatized creatures. And so they look at them and they don't see uh, signs of, uh, you know, sentience, vitality or, or something like that. They see just a, this poor creature. And so maybe that's why they, they get the idea that this is just a machine. This is nothing more than uh, an object. Um, I think also on that point, Brian, workers often 
especially if you're new, you're getting into chicken catching, you're a summer university student, or maybe you're living in a rural environment and your job opportunities aren't very you know, broad. Um, you go working on a farm, there's almost um, a necessity for those workers who have to desensitize themselves to the plight of the animals because they can't function on a daily basis. And we know from studies and research um, that, you know, uh, I'll cite Smithfield Foods down in North Carolina, a massive pig slaughter facility. It's now owned by a Chinese firm, um, but workers there, you know, um, uh, managers of the company, they would have, they would have African-American employees, indigenous American employees and poor white employees. And they would literally pit the groups against one another. So there was racial conflict within the workplace. So certain groups would work in another area, one ethnic group would work in another area, but all eventually, you know, they wouldn't report their, their injuries because they would get taken off the line, fired. There was no medical support. So they would suffer. Some of the highest workplace injuries occur in slaughter facilities of any industry anywhere. And they also, um, they also, um, uh, there are excessive crime rates, domestic violence in these communities where these massive slaughter factories are. This is no coincidence. These are people, again, some who have no other options for, for employment, go to work in these places and suffer either from PTSD, a lot of them do, unrecognized, undiagnosed, and you know they come home and, and they have this level of irritation and aggravation and even aggressiveness. Uh, they come home and you know, you come home and the kids are screaming and the wife hasn't made dinner or whatever, you know, traditional households. You come home and you blow, you blow a fuse and somebody gets smacked around, somebody gets hit. And these things, again, no coincidence. And these large companies, you know, um, they are responsible for the social ills that come, come out of this industry. And there are many from health, to mental health, um, workplace injuries, and so on. And many of them, you know, especially in the United States, less so here, but it still happens here. Um, they have a responsibility for that. And, you know, even if you look at something like uh, immigration issues, which in the States, it's, it's all they ever talk about. Build the wall, immigration. Well, you go down to Mexico or Central America, you can hear recruitment ads in print, on radio, in Spanish, all these massive slaughter uh, companies trying to get people to come up to work and they'll even, they won't outrightly help them to get into the country illegally. But, you know, if you come in undocumented, they're not going to spend too much time asking you for your documentation. They are one of the biggest recruiters of illegal immigrants into any, many countries to work in these, in these slaughter facilities because most American born citizens as most Canadian born citizens they don't want to do these jobs. They don't want to do this kind of work. And undocumented or temporary foreign workers, they don't care. The employers don't care about them. They don't care about their PTSD. They, they're going to um, they're going to use them up and spit them out because they know next season they're going to get a whole new crop of temporary foreign workers or illegal immigrants. And that's where the, the connection between human rights and animal rights is, is, is very, very clear. I know that's a little off topic, but I just wanted to get that in there. <laughs> it's, it's a pertinent point. Uh, you know, I always, I'm always shocked by how 
this industry is just bad on every level, you know, environmental level, human level, uh, of course, animal welfare. And, you know, sometimes I'm I'm stuck with using some religious language like this is evil, you know, this is an evil industry. Like there, there's no better word to describe this uh, activity that, that we're um, uh, doing as humans. Um, do you think it's possible, and you brushed off on that, uh, Julie, uh, do you think it's possible to have a humane egg production industry as uh, many companies, uh, you know, market themselves to be, uh, you know, this uh, chicken was raised uh, free range and uh, it was happy during its life um, and, and, and things like that we can read on uh, on the packaging of those products. Well, question back, how would you define the humane aspect of this? What is humane? Do you have a definition? Well, we would need to ask them <laughs> what is really humane. Why are they saying it, it is humane? Um, but I understand your point. So, yeah. The problem is that it's not like many other uh, labels or certification. There's no uh, no official definition or official um, regulation about it. And what I like to say when it comes to egg and the egg industry is like, there is no right way to do the wrong thing, Right. Um, no, I don't think there is a humane way to produce eggs because it's intrinsically wrong to exploit that animal. As Nigel hinted earlier, that the amount of eggs they lay, no matter the setting where she lays them, that is already the cruelty because she's been bred to do that. Um, hence, develop ovarian cancer because of the over overly ac uh, activities of their um, inner uh, organs and there's just no way to do it right. Um, even if you look at backyard situations, they still rely on that breeding uh, that came initially. They often also rely on um, getting the chicks from hatcheries, which is still a cruel place where they kill the male chicks. Um, many, um, if you stay with the backyard situation, are probably not willing to care for the animals that goes beyond them laying enough eggs, say they get, they get sick. First, they might be hard pressed to find a vet that has any knowledge about how to treat a chicken. Second, are they ready to spend, say, $500 on one vet bill if they find one that treat them? Are they ready to do that? I'd say many wouldn't because then they look at, okay, how many eggs does this hen produce? Is that worth the $500 for that one treatment? And then you go back to the commodification and you end up in the same situation, even if it's dialed down to a backyard. Um, and the worst is that even if the people that have those many Instagram accounts that, you know, share their perfect picture, perfect life of the few hens roaming around in their garden and being part of their little garden ecosystem, they just help people to feel good about eating eggs. They still feel good about if they buy the cage-free supermarket egg because they remember that video where that hen was so happy. And isn't that the same? Isn't that, that where that egg came from? So I don't think there's a humane way to do it. And, you know, the thing is, we don't need to eat eggs. There is no reason why we have to fight for this industry to survive. We don't need eggs to survive. We don't need eggs to be healthy. We don't need eggs to have a complete um, diet. So if we keep fighting for our eggs, then really what we're doing is saying, I like eggs and that's why I want to eat them. And that's why I'm okay with those animals going through whatever they're going through. And that's what it comes down to, no matter if they're from a backyard operation or from a large industry 
in cages or cage-free situations. Um, yes, it's a really good point. Uh, did you want to add something, Nigel? Um, um, I, I, you know, Julie touched on backyard uh, hens, and I think that's probably the one scenario where you'll get um, um, people advocating for more than anything else in terms of this humane sort of scenario. Um, and, uh, you know, look, do I think a, a hen living in a small backyard with a coop and places they can, you know, dust bathe and pack off the ground and walk around like, that are yes, inevitably going to lay an egg and the person who owns the home is going to eat that egg. Is that better than, you know, being in a battery cage? Um, yeah, I mean, let's be honest, it, it is better. Um, but again, as I may have alluded to earlier, you know, we can often discuss the issue of treatment and that's what this is about. When you bring up the issue of humane, it is an issue of treatment, which means regardless of the scenario, you are accepting that treating an animal as a commodity is using them as a resource for the sole benefit or utility of us humans. You're, you've already crossed that line and now you're into this discussion about treatment. So the, the issue of use is, is really, you know, the treatment compounds the initial harm. The primary harm is use. And like Julie said, you know, yeah, they're in a backyard, but they're still going to be laying an egg every 24 to 30 hours because they have 10,000 years of human intervention acting as an artificial agent for natural selection. And here we are in the 21st century, they're laying 350 up to 500 eggs in 18 months, which is, which is anyways, it's, 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 it's insanity. And, you know, I have this discussion on social media with people sometimes. And I always say to people, why did you get a backyard hen? Is it for you or is it for the hen? If it's for the hen, as you say, then my recommendation is, is to find an avian vet, take your, your hen to the avian vet and have um, a subcutaneous hormonal implant and they're readily available or so in Canada and the US, there's issues in the US with the FDA and limitations on these hormonal implants, but they will prevent that hen from laying eggs for months and months. It isn't cheap, but you know, I mean, we all know a visit to the vet with our cat or dog can end up in three or $400 just like that. So this is really no different. And that will result in egg laying cessation. And you talk to people on farm sanctuaries where they do this to prevent egg impaction, to limit the risks of ovarian cancer, which I forgot to mention in the life of a hand, Julie mentioned it earlier. Um, so thank you for reminding me on that. Ovarian cancer, they have the highest rates of spontaneously occurring ovarian cancer of any species in the world. And that is because of their manipulated reproductive systems. So this implant will help them uh, eliminate egg laying for months on an end. It has to be renewed every so often. But if the hen and their welfare is of primary consideration, which they always say they are, and it's really not, they're after the eggs, 
uh, without the guilt. They want guilt-free eggs, but it's, you know, and farm sanctuary workers will tell you time and time again, the difference in the animal's behavior, personality is dramatically is altered once these hormonal implants are put in because uh, this constant laying, this constant hormonal activity in their bodies to lay eggs almost daily takes a toll. I mean, and look at a pregnant human being, a woman, look what she goes through in, in nine months of gestation. Look at the postpartum depression sometimes that they can endure after giving birth. So look at all the hormonal in, uh, flux that goes on in a, in, a, in a human being's body, woman's body during you know, that period of time. Think about it for a small animal who's doing it every 30, 36 hours for, you know, for the rest of their lives potentially. So to stop that would really be to the benefit from their, from a health perspective and from their own um, well-being. So um, the answer is no, <laughs> there is no humane scenario. It isn't humane. And you're still crossing that, that in what is in my mind, an impenetrable moral barrier with, you cannot cross that line into accepting the idea that we can use other living beings for, for our own uh, benefit. And, and, and maybe one last thing to add to that point. Um, people often, when they look up, as Nigel calls them guilt-free eggs, they think about, you know, the carton of 12 eggs, but eggs are in so many other products, um, you know, that you buy and no one looks at those eggs and where they come from. So there's a big part of that industry that feeds into that. And uh, even if you spend exorbitant amount of money to like happy or good eggs you still are not free of all the eggs that are in those products same as when you go to a restaurant you do not know where those eggs came from um so the best is if you really care for hens if you really love hens then just don't <laughs> don't eat eggs and uh we're recording this conversation um we're uh in the month of august and it's often during autumn that uh, we see people uh, wanting to get rid of their hen, their uh, backyard hen, because it stopped laying eggs. You know, there's a, um, there's a period of two years uh, for those uh, chickens where, you know, they're laying their eggs. And then after that period, they stop and often uh, their uh, caretaker just, you know, put them online on social media and try to find um, someone to, uh, to take care of them. Um, yeah. So, uh, we mentioned Sorry, on that point, Ryan, I'll just interject. Yes. You're right. Um, and since a lot of municipalities across the country are starting to allow people to have and raise backyard hens and backyard flocks, um, under the guise of, you know, local food, right? That's a good thing. Local, you know, less than 100 kilometers from your home, produce your own food. So municipalities, cities are now starting to allow this. And as you said, once they start to develop either health problems or their egg laying wanes after after 18 months, two years. Uh, we I've read stories and Montreal SPCA was a perfect example saying, we're now starting to see people dumping hens you know, it used to be just cats and dogs and the odd reptile. Now they're seeing birds and hens showing up because people don't want them anymore. So now that's that cost, that burden is now falling towards the municipality, their their local or regional SPCA um, uh, uh, body or entity has to deal with that. And of course, what ends up happening, they'll often get euthanized or sometimes they'll get rehomed. But, you know, it's just the same pattern all over again, different species, but same pattern. 
Oh, yes. I'm based in uh, Quebec uh, here in Montreal. And, you know, if uh, when I talk to uh, sanctuary, you know, vegan farm sanctuaries uh, owners, they, they often tell me that we're at full capacity. And every year th th there is just an army of new uh, uh, chickens, even roosters, uh, looking for homes, looking for uh, places where to... And it started with this whole um, backyard um, trend. Um, so, yeah, it's a sad situation. Mm -hmm. um, we we mentioned that um, egg truth is just part of, you know, it's one of the initiatives that uh, the Truth Organization has launched. There is also DairyTruth.com. Uh, um, and... I would love to hear you talk, uh, you know, uh, say a few words about this platform. And I'm very curious about, uh, is your organization planning on uh, launching a new uh, platform of the sort, maybe about pigs this time? Go ahead, John. Start on the initial thought of why launching their truth, Nigel. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, again, it was, you know, once Egg Truth was up and running, and and you know, uh, the activities were, um, you know, in play, the social media channels were set up, and uh, I ended up uh, thinking, okay, well, I can just simply replicate this. You know, I don't have to reinvent the wheel, so it'll, you know, be a lot easier to to produce uh, a website and social media platform for the other obvious, or at least to me, the obvious uh, focus, which was dairy because again that whole you know transition and and the experience of so many vegans is that is that dairy and eggs you know is one of the last sort of um things that we recognize are problematic and um uh and sometimes people give up dairy last sometimes they give up eggs last but again everyone says if i'd only known when i first started this i would have probably started there so um and so uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the one thing that I wanted to add to the, to, the, to the dairy truth side of things was the environmental aspect, because dairy has a certainly much more significant environmental impact than on the egg industry. Both are not good, but dairy in particular is, is very, very uh, troublesome. Um, and um, we, we uh, had a, a, a professor who, who's written on this subject many times provide the content for um, uh, that page uh, on our website. Um, and again, as you'd mentioned, Ryan, earlier, that there are some vegans, you know, who come to veganism by way of, you know, animal welfare issues. Some come from the health aspect, health and nutrition. Some come from the environmental side. So um, this was uh, an opportunity to, you know, put information out there that hopefully those who were, you know, whose main concern was environment would, could find their way uh, to a dairy-free life as well. So, um, uh, and having Julie on board, you know, this would double the work. And so 
uh, I can't even remember now, Julie, whether we had Dairy Truth running at the time when you started or... No, you already knew that you wanted to launch it. And, and right. then we did when I was already working uh, with Egg Truth. Okay, and yeah, right. I think it was just, it just fit the overall theme that as Nigel mentioned, those are the last big obstacles for vegetarians usually become vegan. And again, with the idea that really single out that one industry, because to every of these industries, there's so many layers, so many aspects to it that we mentioned the workers. We mentioned environment, there's so many parts of it. And I find it hard to give it justice and the space it needs and the information it needs on a website where you just put in all the farm animals and maybe then even animals for entertainment and, and so on and so forth. And I think that was the idea um, to to have the, the, the basically the, yeah, the look and feel of the actors kind of, so people were familiar with that. Um, and then just do that for dairy as well. And uh, I think we had great responses. I think people really, really um, took to it and really liked it, again, as a source to share and point people to, but also to educate themselves on various aspects of the dairy industry. And there's so many, so many parts to it that uh, are just so cruel and, and, and not even known to, to most people that don't even know that cows not continuously give milk. Um, so we educate on a very basic level, but we also go really down into detail. And again, we also help um, people then to transition out of dairy like what do, what do I eat instead you were asking about our favorite cheeses we have a long list of products that uh not to promote it they're not sponsored it's just like here if you if you want to replace it if you can't give it up those are great products you might uh look at and and, and use and that's on there and um, what we also try is to highlight and share um, sanctuaries, which are a bit an important part of the vegan movement, a big part of educating and sharing uh, animals and animals as individuals and not animals of like a mass uh, in, in, a, in a crowded shed um, where it's easier to not care. It's harder to not care if you see that one that has a name, that has a story, that has feelings, uh, that has preferences, and uh, that you keep seeing on social media. And we're trying to give them space and to have their animals shown and heard, and um, just help people to like you know fall in love with those animals. And if it sometimes feels hard to not eat cheese, then you know go back to those animals, and then you get reminded why you're doing it, why it's important to not eat that cheese um, that is made of dairy. Um, and then so for the future right now, we're really focused on um, growing what we have right now, because I think there's still potential. Um, we really see ourselves as that one step um, place where people go to educate, educate themselves on eggs or dairy. That they, as, you, as I said, usually they're just like, oh, just check egg throughs or just check dairy throughs. And I think there's still place for us to grow that um, people see us at that uh, resource. Uh, and then who knows what the future holds. I think it would make sense to stay in the space of um, maybe food, but not uh, food that obviously is cost and slaughter. So I could think um, honey would be something like that. But there's nothing of this is planned yet. It's just, as I said, I think it would make sense to stay in that part of the food industry. Um, but as for now, we're just trying to um, push Ectrus and Dairtus out there um, and um try to be more present, find different ways of presenting the information and make people care and um, right. hopefully become vegan. And I encourage people, you know, to to visit those two uh, websites, uh, ectruth.com and uh, dairytruth.com. Yeah, um, I just want to just want to correct you on that, Ryan. It's, it's egg-truth.com yes. and dairy-truth.com. I did try to get Thank the you, other URLs and I, I couldn't. Um, <laughs> I've got some other ones too, like egg truth, uh, egg truth.ca or dairy truth.ca and so on. I've got so many URLs that redirect to our <laughs> website. 
but it's the, the but the, the dash the eggtruth.com one actually was i think it was a pig farm in in iowa had that url for some reason i have no idea why um i did try to get it but i couldn't uh so i had to put the dash in there and like i said we have other iterations of the urls that redirect there but yeah well, the, the links will be in the description. Okay, and great. I know that they are essential tools for me. You know, like you said, Nigel, uh, earlier, I like to just, you know, post the, the, the link uh, instead of uh, starting to argue my way with uh, uh, people. I wish it was translated in French because I have many friends here uh, who speak French and would benefit from, yes, uh, reading uh egg-truth.com uh, in, in their right. native language. Well, it, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's interesting that you should say that. Um, and uh, Julie's right. We're going to fo- just stay focused on egg-truth.com and dairy-truth.com for now. Continue to grow those social media platforms. Try to create awareness about those resources. Um, but yeah, I, I, having the website in, in, in other languages is um, certainly something that's down the road. Um, uh, interestingly, when I did the uh, outdoor ad campaign back in 2018 or 2019, spring, um, uh, the number of inquiries I had from around the world where they wanted the poster that was created but they wanted it in their language. So I said, okay, you send me everything in, in whether it's Spanish. I think we did Spanish, Italian, uh, Polish. Um, and we didn't have, we didn't do a French one, but we did a number of them. And I basically recreated the posters in those languages and sent them the creative that they could print however big or small they wanted. And um, so one of the languages that we may look at, at doing initially is, is well, certainly French, but Spanish, because Central and South America is, is are massive markets. Um, uh, and um, yeah, that's something that certainly uh, should be in the pipeline. Um, and, uh, you know, even although, you know, Australians speak English too, the brochure that that we had for that campaign, I had a couple farm sanctuaries in Australia who wanted it. And I said, well, I said, you can have it. I said, but it's it's it actually references a hen that lives at a at happily ever after farm sanctuary in, in Campbellville, Ontario. So we'd have to and it mentions, you know, famous celebrities in Canada who were vegan, Brian Adams and, you know, the, the uh, hockey player, uh, George LaRocque and some other ones that and a figure skater came figure skater. So I'd have I'd have to Australianize that for you. So they sent me, you know, information and pictures of a hand that they had at a sanctuary and mentioned some Australian celebrities who were vegan. So I Australianized the brochure and just sent it to them to give it to them to print and use how, however they wish, because at the end of the day, you know, collaboration and, and sharing of all this information is, is really an important part of what we do. And when I see an, uh, when I see an, uh, an egg truth post, like I'll see, I'll remember even before Julie came on board and I was doing memes every day and designing memes, I design a meme and I put it out there. And two years later or three years later, I see like, I don't know, Gene Bauer from farm sanctuary is sharing it. 
with a comment. And, and of course, Gene Bauer is going to get like, you know, 15, 20,000 likes and reactions to it. That's, that makes me feel great because, you know, I, I, I love to see it. Other people post it, people I don't even know. Some I do, some I don't. But our goal is to, as a resource, like you said, you use it as a resource for people who are either active animal rights activists and advocates or people who are passive and on social media and don't always have the right words or how to argue or take a position. You can just simply say, here, I think you should read this. You know, and that's that's great. I, I, as long as you know it can be a resource for resharing, um, that's tremendous. I, I can reach so many people. I love hearing that, and I'm so grateful that you're working so hard on those two uh, initiatives. You know, it's so uh, it's done by experts, and it's not um, you know. We see a lot of pseudoscience in uh, vegan circles. You know, a lot of unfiltered articles and uh, things said about uh, the industry and I like to see to have trust in a uh, in a tool uh, like yours so thank you so much for working uh, so hard on uh, egg-truth.com and uh, dairy-truth.com and (laughs) before we end this conversation did you want to add something well, as you said, we have the website, but we're also very active on social media because um, for the website, people actively have to want to educate themselves. But I think we're also out there to get the people that uh, might need a little push. And uh, so we're very active on social media. We're on all the known platforms we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now the new uh, threat. Um, we're all out there so people can find us there, same name. And we're happy for people to to check us out, to share us, to to um, just reference us, um, and and that's a big part of our uh, our advocacy to like actively go out and actively put the content in front of people, hoping that even if they don't reply, even if they don't share their story, but hoping to plant some seeds in the back of their heads and hopefully um, convince people that it might be better if we leave eggs and dairy off our plates. I hope so. I truly hope so. I'm rooting for you. Uh, from the bottom of my heart. Uh, Thank you, both of you, for having taken the time to answer my questions, share your insights. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan, very much. It was a pleasure. Um, And we're hoping to do something a bit more um, uh, uh, public in the the fall. We're working on some things right now um, that... um, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll certainly let you know or give you the heads up if it happens. And um, uh, so you can actively share and promote that with your listeners. But again, yeah, thanks for having us on. Thank you everyone for listening. What an amazing conversation this was. I am so grateful that the Truth Organization exists. I invite you to share this episode with your community. They need to learn what is happening behind the scenes of the egg industry. And finally, Let me know if you liked this conversation. Leave me a good review or reach out on Instagram at Vegan Report Podcast. Thank you again for listening. Take care and see you next Tuesday for a new episode.